0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. If you don't know me, my name's Jason. It's my privilege to be able to speak to you again this morning. We're going to continue our walk through the book of Acts. Um. And this morning, we're talking about the conversion of Saul, which is Acts chapter 9. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that we have your great word. And we thank you that through it, we can see how your hand has been on all of us and all of history throughout time. And we thank you, Father, that you are bringing all things together for your great purpose. Your glory on the earth, Lord, is our goal. And we thank you that we can be a part of it. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 9. Last week, Bron talked to us about um, a rather sad but inspiring episode, which was the death of Stephen, the first martyr. And we're going to follow on immediately behind that. You'll recall there was a character in the kind of on the side holding all the clothes. That was Saul. We all know who Saul is. We know he becomes the Apostle Paul. No mystery there. But we're going to continue on learning more about his experience. So let me read to you Acts chapter 9 verses 1 to 19. Am I in the way a bit here? Here we go. All right. Get my... to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Alrighty, so a bit of context. When is this all taking place? This is probably a year to 18 months after the resurrection of Jesus. And now where, I've, I've got this kind of dodgy map here, I hope you can see that Okay. And And forgive the poor quality, because this was the best map I could find that showed all the pieces that I wanted to show you. For starters, we've got Jerusalem right down here at the bottom, and we have Damascus here, about this is about 200 kilometers this distance. And you can see up here, and we'll learn about Tarsus, because that's where Paul's from, Saul is up here. So that's the region that we're talking about so. Saul was, we've heard that Saul was setting out on this 200-kilometre journey. In fact, he was almost there when this all happened. So there was a large Jewish population in Damascus at the time, about 40 synagogues. That's, that's a pretty decent community. Josephus, the Jewish historian, apparently reported that at one time 10,000 Jews were killed in Damascus. And that probably was by the Romans. I haven't read that particular text. Uh, during the, the great uh, rebellion in 70 A.D., so there was obviously a very sizable Jewish um, population in Damascus. Now, at this point in the story of Acts, we don't really know much about Saul. Um, those of us who have been in church a while will know much more about um, Saul or Paul. Um, we know he was born in Tarsus, at that time a free Roman city in Cilicia. This is modern-day Turkey up here, this whole section. Um, and, and Paul, or Saul, therefore became a free man of that city, hence his Roman citizenship, which will become relevant later in, in the story of Acts. His parents are both native Romans, or they, they, they are native Jews, but they have Roman citizenship. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which adhered to Judah. His education was in the schools of Tarsus first, which was kind of a little Athens, so the um, education was highly prized. He would have studied the philosophy of the Greeks and the poetry. So really well educated and then he subsequently went to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, study divinity and the Jewish law. So Saul's motivation here was to crush this emerging movement which he would have absolutely seen as a grave heresy to Judaism. Why would you follow a dead guy when we have all of this history and all of this wondrous um, tradition? that that he felt was being put at risk by the followers of the way. Now, I've called this next part Master of Time and Space, which sounds a bit grand, but really I was looking at this and nerding out completely. I was loving this this passage because there's so many connections and God has woven this fabulous story together over all of this time to bring Saul to this particular place. Um, And the conversion of Saul, let's face it, it's one of the wonders of the church. Um, I don't know how many people read this uh, old book, Who Moved the Stone? Anyone? Who Moved the Stone? Grant, thank you, Suze. Written by a guy, pseudonym Frank Morrison. Um, he was a journalist and he was a, a, an avowed atheist and he determined, you know, another one of these stories, determined to debunk the, uh, the story of Christianity and he attacked two pillars. Obviously, he had to attack the resurrection of Jesus but the other pillar was the conversion of Saul. He found it, he found it, it was impossible that this story could be correct. Um, but of course, he came up against the truth of the gospel in the process and ended up giving his life to Jesus. But the conversion of Saul is immense in terms of its value for those of us looking for evidence for our faith. Uh, the amazing account of Saul's conversion is compelling evidence. But what could explain this abrupt and total about-face contained in this very brief account? Saul was a very zealous advocate for his faith. He wasn't apathetic about this at all. He was banking everything on it. He was rolling the dice and putting everything on that number. He was all in for his faith. And so he was not a likely candidate for conversion, um, to the point that at the ends justified the means. His mission was to eradicate the way, since it apparently posed a grave threat. And yet in the space of three days, he becomes the greatest advocate for Jesus' church on the earth, apart from the Lord himself. It's a wondrous illustration of God's mercy and also his salvation power. Even the chief of sinners is not beyond grace. So remember that. Um... I think the cut-through moment in this passage is Jesus basically just announcing who he is. I am Jesus. You know, cosmic mic drop moment. Um, you can imagine how Paul would have thought everything was sorted. He had it all together. He had the history. He had the learning. He understood the Old Testament. And then he meets the risen Jesus and everything comes apart under his feet. It's it's one of those moments It makes sense to me this is the point in the conversation that struck Saul dumb, and so it is for us. When, via whatever means, Jesus steps from being some dead historical figure to a living Lord, everything changes. Saul had some thinking to do. Um, Jesus' connection with his church. So Jesus asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why do you persecute my church, not why do you persecute my people, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus invested, he takes any attack on his people personally because we are his body on the earth. Matthew 25.40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. There is a fundamental connection here which we should consider with sobriety. Remember remember that when you think about how you don't particularly like one of your brethren. Eyewitness. Okay, so even though the text doesn't spell it out, um, it would seem that Saul saw the risen Jesus. Um, Perhaps in the bright light we read about. Later in the passage we hear from Ananias who states... That Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me. Furthermore, in one Corinthians fifteen verse eight, Paul states, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Later on, actually, in um, uh, in, in the book of Acts, I think it's in Acts twenty five, where Paul is in front of King Agrippa. He describes how Jesus appeared to him, um, um, and so yeah, I think for sure Paul is an eyewitness of the risen Lord. Now, funnily enough, last time I was here on the platform, I was talking to you about Ananias and Sapphira. And, and now I'm talking to you about Ananias again. But this is a different Ananias, as you well know, because that Ananias had a grisly end. This guy is still kicking, at least at this point. And, and he, he's, his reaction to Jesus is very different. Um, his reaction to the instructions of the Lord are understandable, though, right? He, he may have been one of the followers who actually escaped from Jerusalem after Stephen's martyrdom. Um, and so he knew that Paul represented a uh, Saul, represented a real threat to the way and, and himself personally. So the NIV actually says, as I read, I have heard, he, he, he states, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done. While I was re- researching this, I was, I was reading different versions of this text. And I read the message paraphrase because, you know, why not? It's awesome. And, um, and instead of saying, I have heard many reports about this man, it says, Master, you can't be serious. <laughs> and I just had this vision of John McEnroe. You cannot be serious. Anyway, for all the young people out there, John McEnroe was the old-fashioned version of Nick Kyrgios. And he was very famous for his tantrums and that particular line, you cannot be serious. Anyway, I loved it. I, I laughed out loud at that point. It was great. I can understand it though, right? He was, he was concerned, very, very concerned. And, and I loved how he earnestly and helpfully fills in the master of time and space on current events. Have you noticed what's happening yet? Yeah, I have noticed, yes, thank you. But go anyway, and that was, that was the kind of big don't argue for, from the master. So, look, I, I really love digging into this. I hope that's been helpful. I do have a few more connections, though, which, I, which I've really enjoyed exploring. So let's talk about these ones. Um, the importance of properly positioning this relatively short text against the rest of the Bible is so, so, uh, so high. So first of all, I want to talk about David versus Saul, right? And, and this is so cool because when you think about it, we are having a reenactment of the contest between David and Saul from the Old Testament. Right, so David versus Saul, and now we have the son of David versus the son of Saul or his namesake. Think about the murderous rage of King Saul in his pursuit of David. It's akin to the feelings Saul now has towards Jesus and his church. And as before, the son of David has compassion on Saul. But this new David, the true David, rescues, restores, and renews Saul and makes him a new man and entrusts him with a mighty work on the earth. The next really cool connection is the sign of Jonah. You you can't have missed this. Saul struck blind, eats nothing for three days and three nights. The pattern is clear to all that have some knowledge of the Bible. Saul is following in the steps of his master through this rebirth into the kingdom of God. Like Jonah in the whale for three days and three nights in darkness, eats nothing, drinks nothing. Jesus in the earth for three days, eats nothing. Now Saul in darkness for three days and nights. I love it. This is our God establishing and maintaining his beautiful patterns throughout history. The blind see. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Let me read to you from Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7, and this is the prophet Isaiah talking about the suffering servant. "'I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness.' This is just the sweet marrow of this story that's coming out. Because Saul, who who could probably recite most of the Old Testament from memory, could not see that the one of the 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 scriptures had foretold had come. He knew it all. He knew all the text back to front. He could recite it. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. And yet the Lord opens his eyes, the scales drop, and realization dawns. The, the message, paraphrase, even titles this whole episode, the blinding of Saul, not the conversion of Saul, the blinding of Saul. He had to go down into the darkness and come out resurrected. This is a bit of a laugh. Straight street, okay, weird sexual connotations around straight and whatever these days, but that at that time I loved it because straight street, you know, Jesus setting Paul straight, you get the connection. I love that. Apparently that street still exists in Damascus, by the way, if you're ever, you know, in Syria, you can have a look at it. Finally, Gamaliel, right? Gamaliel was Paul's teacher. He was the revered and highly respected Jewish teacher who provides advice to his colleagues through the regarding the treatment of Peter and the apostles in Acts 5, which was shortly after the, the last passage that I was up here about. You'll recall that they'd been brought before the Sanhedrin. They'd been out doing their thing, preaching Jesus, healing the sick, you know, and they'd been hauled in in front of the Sanhedrin. However, Gamaliel responds to this because they were thinking of putting the apostles to death and says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed. And nothing, nothing came of it. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led the people In revolt, he too was killed and all of his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Do nothing to them. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. Saul didn't get the hint. Even from his own teacher, he's pitched himself against God. Anyway, he he obviously fails. All right, so where does that leave us? That leaves us with you all about to spend a few minutes talking among yourselves on the tables and I want you to kind of ponder a few things from this passage. One is that we all go through different processes to arrive at the foot of the cross and Paul had a very spectacular process to go through here and it made me wonder about what it takes for you to believe, why you believe, what what made you believe. So have a think about that, why you have the faith you have. Paul can turn around and say, well, I saw Jesus and it was kind of impossible to ignore. Maybe you don't have such solid evidence and that's okay. But I think it's really important that we understand that we all go through different processes and that some people take a lot more convincing than others. And that's not bad or good. That's just, that's just just um, That just shows that we're all different. So have a think about that and have a talk about it. Blessed are you who would believe without seeing, which I think is everybody here. Have you noticed also that Saul's reaction to Jesus can be summarized in two questions that we all need to ask of him, our Lord Jesus, and listen for his response. The first one is, who are you, Lord? And the second is, what do you want me to do? God bless you. Have a chat.
1: That was great, Jason. I loved that. Thank you so much. Um, so th- for those of you who don't know me, my name is Linnea. I am our 10 a.m. Uh, service pastor here, and I am just pumped and semi-full of coffee, only semi, um, but honored to be able to bring this message forward. So hopefully I can do that for you this morning. And the thing that um, I loved when I was reading through chapter nine was I loved Ananias. He was like who I was like, I hope I can be like this guy. But the biggest thing and the title of this message that I have is, what are you known for? What are you known for? And as Bronzo beautifully preached last week, and as Jason just detailed for us, there's so many things about Saul. Saul had a reputation. Saul was known for something, and it wasn't quite good, at the start. It wasn't good. Saul was known for speaking out murderous threats, right? Persecuting Christians, dragging men and women out of their houses. And this paints a picture of a man that you and I would likely want to avoid and have absolutely nothing to do with asking ourselves questions about his parents, like how could they have raised this man like this? And how could this hatred be acceptable? Who's standing up to this guy? But like you and like me and like Saul, we carry a reputation with us. And I remember when I first moved to California from Minnesota, I was a completely different person and I'm a completely different person than I am now, but I remember feeling different in myself. And then when I moved to Australia from California, I, I also felt really, really different. And I've come to realize that while true, when we leave things and places that are really comfortable for us, it's also when we leave people. When we leave people and, and people that know us for how, because of how they see us or experience that they have that I didn't have anymore because those relationships were no longer in my proximity. And it's also true of our reputation, because somehow, in some way, other people inform us to a degree who we are. Now, whether we should allow certain people to do that is a different question. But the reality is, is that we perceive and we respond um, in certain ways based on how people speak about us, how people speak to us, how much or how little time they give us. Do they listen? Do they make eye contact? Are they constantly distracted while we speak? Whether we're liked, do people seem to gravitate towards me or do they kind of just avoid you like the plague and want nothing to do with you? All of these interactions shape messages that internally inform us about who we are or about another person or even about situations that are happening. And in reading in this account, in Acts, we are informed based on how Saul is treating other people and how people are speaking about Saul. We make a conclusion. Saul's a bad man. He's a terrible person. But the first point that I want to make because of this conversion is this. Point number one, don't start with the conclusion. Don't start with the conclusion. When you and I start with conclusions about a certain person or situation, we come already with our minds made up. Our hearts are closed, thinking we understand a full picture of something. I recall this so easily with COVID. (laughs) So easily with COVID. Situations that I'd have personally or I'd hear from other people. And it was so challenging to have conversations because people just kind of wanted you to join their conclusion club, right? Can you join my conclusion club? How about I bring you to my conclusion club? And though having challenging conversations and being honest with one another is beautiful and good and powerful and we encourage that, how we lead into those situations or thoughts and even having our hearts and minds either open or closed can lead us to not fully understand and we lose out and it achieves what the enemy desires, division division and that's what he wants us to have um, or doesn't want us to have. Matthew 12 25 says this which it says um, 22 to 28 but every city or house divided itself cannot stand. It cannot stand and so starting with a conclusion is not a godly way of engagement and how do we know this is true because godly mindset is this in Romans 5 8 which is by the way, written by Paul, which is Saul. Funny, he became wise. But God demonstrates his own love for us in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while is used both in the past and the present tense. So while in your past and while still presently, you and I are still mucking up all the time, Jesus still thought you were worth dying for. You were worth dying for. Your badness or the things that you did or the things that he knows that will happen and do in the future didn't stop him from seeing potential in who you are today and what he can do in your life. So don't start with a conclusion. And as we know, Ananias, he was terrified to go and pray for Saul. He knew what Saul had done. He spoke to God about how he felt. But irregardless, he did what God told him to do. And you know what he did? He called him brother. He called him brother. He said, if God's going to accept this man, so am I. And I'm going to trust God with this man and the way that, that God sees him. Because if God isn't done with him, then I won't be either. And it's there that Ananias' open mind actually allowed him to be a part of a miracle. The miracle of his eyes and the scales falling off and for him to see in complete lack of blindness for the first time. Saul was radically converted. God changed him from the inside out. Saul was brought to his knees in humility. He acknowledged after realizing what he was doing. God saw something in Saul. He addressed what needed addressing. He turned him in the right direction, being used for godly purposes. And this is my story, and this is your story, a before and an after. And the second thing to bring us around is this, what you are for? is what you are known for. What you are for is what you are known for. Saul was a passionate man. He was extremely hardworking. As, we, as Jason told us, he studied scriptures, he studied law, he studied under that fancy rabbi who I don't know much about, but apparently was well known. And everything in his life seemed to be really extreme with Saul. He was extreme, full of extreme hatred Or, after his extreme conversion, he continued and then was extremely passionate for Jesus. He became one of the most influential people in the Bible. But Saul started in his life living for what he was against. Saul was known for his opposition against Christians. But the Holy Spirit in Saul transformed how we know Saul to be and what he is for. He's for Christ. He's for his church. He's for loving people. He's for forgiveness, for faith, for God's faithfulness, for freedom from the law, through life with the spirit, for present suffering, future glory. What are you for? What are you for? Because what you are for is what you are known for. One of my favorite extracurricular activities of working here at the chapel and coming to church on Sunday is wearing my Vikings jersey. Okay, why? Because it stirs up that man and that man. Why? Because Des is a Packer fan. He's a Packer fan. And some of you would not know that Minnesota Vikings and Wisconsin Packers are neighbors and states, and they are complete rivals, okay? People are not friends if you go for another team. And if I cross the border wearing my Vikings Jersey, I may not come out alive, no joke. But when I wear my Jersey, I don't have to say anything. It says what I'm for, right? It says what I'm for, but it also says, I'm not for the Packers. I am not for the Packers at all. (laughs) But in a crowd of Vikings fans, I've blend right in. It's no issue. But in a sea of green, I'm, I'm ready to die. Like, that's exactly what's happening. Now, while I'm not obsessed fully with the Vikings, honestly, it's something I play up because it's fun and entertaining. But if that was my conviction, it would change things. It would mean that I would treat Daz differently. I'm going to treat Lockie with verbal abuse, right? But biblical conviction and having conviction is an important key to guide us as Christians, and so we're better off taking ground with convictions with what we're for and standing for those things in love. I was at a doctor's appointment recently, um, and this lady, she was beautiful Indian gal, and um, I, she's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I work in a church, and um, I, yeah, like I do ministry and whatever, and she obviously doesn't know much about Jesus, and she, if you've, if you're married or have kids, you don't need to close your ears, but if not, you can close your ears. It's fine, and she's like, so when you get your period, like, are you able to pray for people and, like, speak, and I'm like, yeah, and she goes, and she was literally devastated. She goes, wow, like, I, I can't do that. Like, my faith doesn't allow me to come in And pray and like I could see how she had not known about Jesus and the New Testament and so I started talking to her about like new covenant and clean and unclean and and it's a very deep doctor's appointment okay (laughs) very deep but I was telling her about this and it was intense and so I said I was talking about Jesus and whatnot and and she's like wow that's so interesting how cool But she learned something about Jesus that day because he was for her praying. He was for her being in church, no matter if she was a male or a female or if she had her period or not. I'm like, none of them know when I have my period. And I'm not telling them how awful, you know, like I was angry for her. But the thing was, is I then started speaking on behalf of Jesus because I don't know him the the desire and as much as I wish I did. But I know him enough to know that he would allow her to come whenever. And so then I started speaking for him. And so live with what you're for, but speak. If you know that something isn't what it is, with conviction and in love, speak. And the third point is this, that God speaks first. And it's very good. It's very good. In the book of Genesis, God spoke. And things were created. You know, things of beauty. Like he didn't speak, and I was like, oh, that's junk you know, his things of beauty. First, he spoke the light. And then God spoke boundaries between water and land. And then God spoke of living creatures and plants. And then, of course, me and you. And then he said, when God speaks, things happen. And when God speaks, he calls them good. And when God spoke about you, he said, you are very good. He said, you are very, very good. God speaks over what he sees in you. And this isn't just information or knowledge for us to store up in our minds, but it needs to shape how we see ourselves, but really how God sees other people. Other people that have hurt us. Other people that have stolen things from us. And not everyone will respond and turn their hearts towards God like Saul, or like me, or like you in your situation. You know, God doesn't ever hate people. But he hates what people can do and how they can hurt each other. He'll confront people, but it's up to us on not up to us on how they respond, but it's up to us on how we can speak. Later in Genesis, we read of God and, and he's talking to Adam. And he actually gave Adam the ability to start naming things. The ability to call, hmm, that's a duck. Cool, that's gonna be a duck. That's an elephant. Great, that's an elephant. A turtle, you get the picture. He started naming things. So first God speaks, but then he gives you and I the ability to also speak. There is no other creature that has been created that has an ability to name and speak like mankind, that God entrusted us to name and label things, because we too, when we speak, we create things. We name things. And I think that you and I, God would have us speaking and naming things to build up, to encourage, to lovingly correct, to love, to spread kindness and care. So, does who and what you're naming sound like God? Does it sound like God? Is it good? Is it very good? Are you speaking in t- situations with love? God spoke to Saul. And some of you this morning need to hear that God speaks for you. God fights for you. So don't start with the conclusion. What you are for is what you are known for. God speaks for us, and it is very good. It is very good. So let's just pray into that this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you have our life. You have our reputation. Thank you that you can take people and situations that look hopeless like Saul and transform them into people that are used for your gospel, situations that are used for your good. And God, I pray for each person sitting under the sound of my voice right now to receive a fresh anointing from you this morning, knowing God that you love and care for them deeply. We pray, God, that you'd help us to be people that don't start with a conclusion, that we would live with what we're for and that we would be able to do that in love, God. I pray that we'd be able to receive your love this morning for ourselves, knowing that you speak good over us. And I pray for any, any situation or any person in our life, Lord, that we struggle with, God, that you'd help us to be careful with how we name things and to trust that you work everything for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.